0: The virgins who were ready went in with him to the wedding banquet, and the door was shut. Later, the others also came. Lord, Lord, they said, "Open the door for us!" But he replied, "Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know the day or the hour."
1: It's it. Uh, it really is so great to be back. Thank you so much. This is. Um Uh, My last uh, talk in Perth while I've been here, and it's uh, it's, uh, lovely and appropriate to finish it here. Thank you so much. Uh, If you've been to more than one of my things, I'm so sorry. Uh, I'll go away for another three or four years, and who knows? And uh, it it is great being back. Uh, Jeff just said, pick a talk. I picked this talk. Randomly, it finishes with a poem. I don't know why, but that's the way it is. Uh, It's not my usual habit. Uh, And uh, it's great being back. Being back does make me realize that uni church is an easy way to track how old you're getting, as, as, you know, Miranda, who just read, wasn't in, you know, senior youth group when I was here. Uh, Caleb used to have short hair. Uh, <laughs> kids in youth group are now getting married. It's, uh, it's insane being back and just seeing that, that you can track ages very easily when we're here. It's, uh, it's very exciting. Another way you can tell you're getting old is you make jokes about being old. I'm very aware of that. Uh, and another way you tell you're getting old is technology. Uh, the youth groups in the UK, people are talking about stuff I have no idea what they're going on about. Uh, and uh, but also I know with my mum that's how I know she's so much older than me is that she doesn't understand technology that I do one one plan I've got and if you haven't got a Mother's Day present maybe try this is uh, buy I'm going to buy my mum a piece of electronic equipment and tell her it's voice activated uh, I just think it would be really funny to see her talking to the kettle uh, <laughs> and when, when it's not, see how long she does that for And uh, but one piece of technology we haven't invented yet is a time machine and I don't think we ever will invent the time machine uh, otherwise, we'd know about it now, right? It's one piece of future technology we'd be aware of at the moment. Uh, for example, let's all agree, if we have in the future somehow, uh, you know, invented a time machine, let's come back to right now. See, I hope that will work. But um, we obviously haven't, have we? So what should we do instead? Without a time machine, what is it we're going to do? Well, if you haven't got a time machine, the best thing to do, Matthew 24 and 25. That's going to tell us about the future. That's going to uh, be a time machine for us as we look at the Bible. Because it's all about the future. And Jesus taking his friends and followers into the future, he takes them firstly from AD 33, where he's talking, just before he dies on the cross, to AD 70 in the temple in Jerusalem, and then it's going to get destroyed. And he warns them to keep watch. Then he takes them, not just AD 70, but to the end of time, AD, who knows when. And he warns them to keep watch again with some parables. And these parables, these sets of stories with a point, will show us that Jesus will come back based on his diary, not ours. And this last little parable, uh, some thought Jesus would be a long time. And they're caught up by surprise, caught out by surprise. In today's story, uh, that's end of chapter twenty twenty-four. Uh, in today's story, some think he'll be gone a short time. And they're caught by surprise. And I guess if we were rewriting this parable, we'd all have our own version of events of how Five girls made the wedding and five girls don't. We all have our own success criteria that we want to measure others by. A popular version of the story might go like this. Ten girls were asked to be bridesmaids. They fell asleep because the groom was delayed. When he returned, the five prettiest, thinnest girls were invited to the wedding. The five ugly girls were left outside. That's the story that the entertainment industry will tell us. There are those who are in, the thin and pretty, those who are out, the ugly and the fat, based on how they look. Another version of the story might go something like this. Ten girls were asked to be bridesmaids. They fell asleep because the groom was delayed. When he returned, the five most tolerant, most inclusive girls were invited to the wedding. And the five exclusive, judgmental girls were left outside. That story is based on the current cultural oxygen that we're breathing, that you can't say anything is wrong. If you do judge and exclude anyone, we will judge and exclude you. But that's kind of a silly circular argument, isn't it? I'm going to do the very thing that I'm telling you off for. And I think more people are beginning to see that that's a hollow cycle to judge people who judge people. Which of course means you judge yourself, which is a tricky situation. Uh, My lovely uni housemates that I shared a house with uh, back in Exeter would retell the story like this. Ten girls were asked to be bridesmaids. They fell asleep because the groom was delayed. Five girls believed in the groom because that's what their parents believed. While the other five girls studied science, so disproved the groom. And the groom would just crash their party. And so the five girls decided that the groom was just a social construct A religious crutch, a way to make kids behave. And so, of course, the groom never came. That's how they'd retell it. Would that be you? There would also be the religious retelling of the story. And this is is the one I would do, probably. Ten girls are asked to be bridesmaids. They fell asleep because the groom was delayed. They woke up. The five good girls had oil for their lamps. The five naughty girls didn't have oil for their lamps. The five good girls shared their oil with the five naughty girls, and they all made it into the party. So, boys and girls, if you want to be good, share when someone asks. That's the story I tell my kids. And I love that religious version of the story because I feel so much better about myself. I've got self-esteem. I shared and cared. I'm the star. I'm the savior. But, of course, Jesus loves us too much to let us get away with some cheap moral tale like that. Instead, he has a much more flavoursome story for us to feast on, and the first thing we see is uh, the first thing we see is that there is a wait. There's a wait. It all begins with W. It's very clever. There's a wait. This is the first one. It starts with Jesus telling us when the parable happens. It starts in verse one. Verse one. Have a look at verse one of chapter twenty-five. If you've closed it, open it. If you haven't got one, share one. Verse one. At that time, the kingdom of heaven will be like this. So, at the time when Jesus is just about to come back, this is what life as a Christian will be like. So this is a parable for right now. Living as a Christian now will be like ten unmarried girls who go out to meet the bridegroom. The groom is finalizing negotiations between the families about who's going to spend Christmas with who and how many grandchildren they should expect. And, and the ten girls need lamps to help them through the night. And all ten girls have lamps. But five are wise and five are foolish. Because there's a wait. Is it that the wise girls stay awake and the five foolish girls sleep? No, verse 5. They all slept. Because the groom's a long time coming. There's going to be a delay. There's a wait for the groom. There's a wait. So being wise is not about having a lamp or not. It's not about falling asleep or not. It's whether you've planned for there to be a wait. Verse 3, the foolish ones took their lamps but didn't take any oil. All ten girls are invited. All ten sleep. The five foolish ones were foolish because they didn't think there'd be a wait. They only planned to be a bridesmaid for a short time. They didn't listen to the groom. I take it, therefore, that the comparison of wise and foolish is not about people in this room, we're the wise ones, and the idiots out there are the foolish ones. No. Jesus is going deep in that. He's talking to us in the room. Jesus is talking about the church going, prayer meeting attendee, attending, hub loving, sacrificial giving, inviting friend to evangelism service type Christian. Jesus is talking to the staff, to the parish council, the service leaders, those in the band. Jesus is telling those this story for those who read this just now and thought, I'm okay. What makes us wise or foolish is whether we think there's going to be a wait for Jesus. How long are we prepared to be a bridesmaid for? Are we prepared to be a Christian for the long haul? Have we got oil? Because the world we see right now is exactly what the Bible teaches us to expect. If Jesus is coming back at the end of this sentence, at the end of this service, at the end of this year or this millennium. There is going to be a wait. That's what the time machine of Matthew 24 and 25 tells us. We, the church, are the bridesmaids asleep, waiting for the groom Jesus to return. There is a wait, and if we're wise, we're prepared. And we wait because Christianity is unashamedly an end-time religion. Because if you're looking into Christian things here tonight for the first time... We love that you're here, but please do take note of this wait that is to come. Because most of what Jesus promises us to those who trust him is cashed in at the end of time. So if you look around this room and think, this is Christianity? This is really what they're asking me to sign up for? Seriously, this, this thing here. That's all, this is their best sales pitch and what they want me to sign up for. No. We are unashamedly an end of time religion. There's going to be a wait for the good stuff. So why not wait with us? That's what we're inviting you to. Because the big question is, are we prepared for the wait? And as we ponder whether we're prepared, our passage shows us a second point. There's only one way. Begins with W again, it's very clever. There's only there's a wait, there's only one way. There's only one way. They've been asleep for a while now, these bridesmaids, and then at midnight the cry rings out throughout the whole little town. Here's the bridegroom, come to meet him. The whole windowless village would have heard this cry, and the maids wake up. (sighs) Like us, the first thing you reach for on the night is the light. So grabbing their lamps, they trim the cloth that would be wrapped around the end of the stick, and as their torches would be dimming, they go for the oil to re-soak their cloths, So they can stay alight for longer. But only five of the maids have oil. It's like they've brought ten torches camping, but only only five have brought spare batteries. It's like ten have bought iPhones, but only five have bought chargers. And if you've got an iPhone, you know you need your charger. (laughs) So they beg the other five maids for some of their oil. But the five wise girls say this in verse 9. No, there may not be enough for both us and you. Instead, go to those who sell oil and buy some for yourselves. Which shows us this, we can't rely on other people to get us into the wedding banquet. It's not enough to trust that a friend or your parents have oil. There's only one way into the banquet. Knowing someone isn't the way. Being around the wedding party isn't the way. Being invited isn't the way. When Jesus returns, we can't shrug our shoulders and say, I had a lamp, isn't that enough? If your closest connection to Jesus is through other people, that's got to change. Because there's only one way. We must have our own oil. There's only one way. Because if we don't have enough oil, when the groom returns, we'll be caught out. Verse 10. While they're on their way to buy the oil, the bridegroom arrived. The virgins, who were ready, went in with him to the wedding banquet and the door was shut. It's the most harrowing phrase in this otherwise lovely story. The door was shut. I love playing uh, I love playing tennis. I played tennis out here a few times, some grassy lawns around the place. And one reason I love tennis is, is that second serve. Isn't that a dream? First serve, throw it up, you haven't played in months. Throw it up and just really whack it to terrify your opponent. Whack it into the net. But this guy thinks, oh, boy, this guy's really good, isn't he? Look how fast he hits it. Second serve, little underarm, just dips it over the net. You get the point anyway. And and that's what I love. It's that second serve, you get another chance. And I wish that there were second serves in other parts of life. Don't you wish that? A second serve everywhere. You know, you hand your exam paper in. The lecturer marks it. Get a fail. Just look at them and say, second serve? Wouldn't that be great? You get caught speeding down the freeway. Policeman pulls you over. Second serve? Wouldn't that be amazing to have that second serve? But what makes this passage such a warning is there's no second serve. Verse 10, the door was shut. And if this doesn't frighten us, then nothing will. At the end of time, when Jesus returns, it's a closed door policy. Verse 11, later the others also came. Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Please let me in. there's a closed door. There's only one way into the banquet. It's by knowing the bridegroom. Because what does he say? Verse 12. Truly, I tell you, I don't know you. I don't know you. You get in with the bridegroom. That's the oil. That's the key. The oil is knowing Jesus. It's having the oil that means you know him and he knows you. There's only one way and it's Jesus. Now the question is, is Jesus just here to ruin our day, or is there something for all of us to learn? The lesson's there in verse 13, therefore keep watch, because you don't know the day or the hour. So there is going to be a wait, first point. Secondly, there's only one way, it's Jesus. Thirdly, therefore keep watch. Therefore keep watch. One of the most famous atheists of the last 15 years or so was Christopher Hitchens, uh, who died of cancer a few years back. And Christopher Hitchens, the morning after 9-11, the uh, the Twin Towers attacks, Hitchens woke up, this uh, atheist guy, and he said, he thought to himself, I now know what I'm going to do with the rest of my life. I'm going to try and persuade as many people as possible to believe that God isn't good. That's what I'm going to wake up every day and do, to persuade people that religion is evil. Hitchens knew what he was going to do because he's seen just a a cataclysmic event happen on a global scale because of what he'd seen. He finally, I've got a purpose now. I know what it is. I'm going to wake up every day and do. Well, this passage is that, that moment for the Christian. This gives us what we're to wake up every day and do for the rest of our lives. We're to wake up and keep watch. We need to have enough oil And my job as a Christian isn't to be a parent or an employee or a friend. My job every day is to wake up and keep watch as a parent, an employee, and a friend. Keep watch that I know Jesus today, that my oil is topped up. I don't know the hour or the day. There's going to be a wait. And there's only one way into the banquet, and it's to know the bridegroom. And God has given me some really obvious, easy things to help. Reading my Bible on my own. And praying, reading the Bible in a small group and praying with them. He's given me a large church family to to teach the Bible to me and to pray with and to share communion with and baptisms. God has broken down the process of keeping watch into really easy, accessible steps to help idiots just like me keep watch. I just need to make the most of them. I need to wake up tomorrow and keep watch and repeat until either I'm invited into the banquet or the groom arrives. That's all we need to do. Keep watch. It's what we do as we teach in youth groups and in kids' church, in, 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 in hub groups. We're in the oil topping up business. That's all marriages are for and what parents are to do with children. It's what Christian friendships are based on and what makes our fellowship, your fellowship here so necessary. It might not be flashy. It might not be your style preference. But we're trying to help each other keep watch. That's all. We want to know Jesus because we don't know the hour or the day. And if we've been a Christian for any length of time, chances are we know someone who was Christian once, but isn't now. It's been so encouraging coming back and seeing people who I never thought would be in this room now and are. It's so encouraging. It really is. But it's also discouraging. There are people who shouldn't, could be here, but aren't. And some stage, they look just like us. And to end up not a Christian, to end up with no oil, not knowing the groom, it would have happened gradually and slowly and secretly. There would have been a first day where they just began to slip an inch. Not enough to notice, not enough to be seen, not enough to be told off. Not enough to end up where they are now without any oil. It would have been surrounded with excuses and reasons and busyness and arguments. It starts one day with an evangelistic friendship with someone they're attracted to that turns physical, that draws their heart away from Jesus. It starts one day with a few comments about church that turn to criticism, that turn to complaints, that turns to complacency, that turns to absence. It starts one day with a promotion and a job and being away more and taking more holiday and hoarding money and a heart that grows greedy. It starts one day with a desire for good grades that means you revise too much, that means you miss church, and try and look godly. It starts one day with a lustful look that becomes a habit that infects a character. It starts one day with a harmless hobby that is for evangelism but becomes a passion that suffocates other commitments that consumes a life. But it would have started one day where they just subtly decided to not keep watch. But ends it another day, banging on a shut door. So our job is to keep watch. That we don't ever start one day of an oil leak. It starts one day, don't let it ever be tomorrow. Tomorrow. If we did have a time machine, uh, where would you go? You know, Maybe talk about that over separate Eds. Where would you go if you had a time machine? I might go back to 2004, the campus at Harvard University. Try and make friends with a guy called Mark, nicknamed Zuck. Wouldn't it be a good guy to know? Some would want to redo various decisions in our lives, a different degree, a different spouse, more time with family. If we had a time machine, what would our future selves tell our present selves I've no idea what you do with a time machine. I know one thing that's great about time machines that I'd do is I'd rent them out. Because, of course, you, you can rent them out and then you get them back the very next second. You'd rent them out always, couldn't you? It'd be very easy. I've no idea what you do with a time machine, but I know what these five foolish virgins would do. They'd go back and tell themselves this. Get more oil. Be prepared for the weight of the bridegroom. Know Jesus. He's coming back, and we do not know the hour or the day. Keep watch. Know Jesus. Get more oil. Nothing will be as important as that. Waiting a groom, ten girls had a lamp. So they settled down to sleep and to camp. Together they thought, he's gone a long time. Let's have a nap. I'm sure we'll be fine. Deep in their slumber, ten girls rest their head. As they wait for the bridegroom, tucked up in bed, the cry rang out. The clock struck midnight. They jumped out of bed as they rose with a fright. Suddenly the groom was about to return, but five foolish lamps had no oil to burn. Ten girls awoke, but five plans uncoiled, because five of them did not have enough oil. The foolish five ran off, some more to buy. As the groom arrived, the wise say, goodbye. Goodbye. Hearing the party, the foolish felt poor, so they banged for the groom on the shut banquet door. He said, I tell you the truth, you I do not know. And the maids, dismayed, cried out, oh no, we are so sad. We'll all be in mourning. We did not keep watch. Let that be our warning.